This is These Girls Read Books. I'm your host, Molly Talon. I'm your host. I'm not anyone else's host. Just yours. Come on in. Have a seat. Don't forget to take off your shoes. Here's a lap blanket. I made some cookies. Cup of tea. Get cozy. I am so excited to bring you this conversation I had with my friend Vera. V Vera. Great name, great person. One of those really awesome humans um, that we're lucky to share the planet with. This wet little marble spinning really fast around a constantly exploding star out in the nothingness. But I digress. We read one of my favorite short stories of all time. Samantha Hunt's A Love Story. It's from her collection of short stories that came out in 2017 called In the Dark Dark. And in in an interview with uh, one of the book reviewers from The New Yorker, She describes this book, which is a collection of short stories, as, I quote, a map of humans at night. And if that doesn't make you want to pick up a copy of this book at your local independent bookseller, I don't know what will, other than this conversation you're about to hear. Samantha Hunt is one of my generation's most creative and sensorial writers. This story, a love story, is a conversation about motherhood, femininity, vulnerability, boundaries, child rearing, all of the things that come along with being a modern human parent. And I love this story. You can listen to Samantha Hunt read this story at thenewyorker.com. I left a link in the show notes. I also linked to it on our Instagram at These Girls Read Books. You can also read the story on the New Yorker's website. You can just Google a love story by Samantha Hunt or... You can follow the link also on my Instagram and in the show notes. I highly recommend reading this story before listening to this conversation simply because it's such a good story and it's going to place you exactly where you want to be when you're listening to this conversation. Oh, hi, Vera. Thanks for joining me today and, and agreeing to be on my little podcast. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Molly. Yeah. Um, so 
we decided to read or maybe read this story by Samantha Hunt called A Love Story. And um, I really wanted to know what you had to think about it because I feel like there's themes and situations in the story that we both can like heavy relate to. Um, and I just really wanted to talk to you about it. And I just really wanted to talk about the story with someone else who has a lot in common with it. So, yes. Thank, um, you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. You're more than welcome. <laughs> so I have three kids. You have two kids. There's a lot in this story that involves marriage, parenting, um, social norms, how you interact with those and what it all means and what it all feels like. Um, but before we get into the story, I love to ask this to everybody uh, who comes on, which is why do you read? Uh, like, what is it when you walk into a bookstore that you're looking for? Um, I think for me, it's typically to learn something new about um about some topic um I didn't really grow up um having books and literature emphasized in my household even though my parents are both readers themselves I think they sort of kept that to themselves and so um it wasn't like a pastime for me and it wasn't until I was an adult that I really started reading for pleasure um and I was focused a lot, I think, primarily on trying to learn things so that I could apply them to my life rather than, like, just enjoying the the process of reading. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, I think, what I look for when I go into a book for, bookstore is looking for a book that will, like, help me um, learn how to do something better. The last time I bought a bunch of books was, um, like, in January, I think. 2020 this faded year um when I bought a bunch of books about how, how to be an anti-racist and things like that to try and do that work in my work and learn how to be better a better citizen but I think definitely now I I do a lot more of reading for pleasure um but for me it's like a book is either going to be very pleasurable or really an unfortunate use of my time and so I'm very wary about picking up books that are going to be a waste of my time yeah we don't have a lot of time so no no. That's why I love to get recommendations from people who have read it before. Exactly. Because I'm yeah. I just I want to know it's good. I want to know it's worth my time. Right. Totally. Same here. So when you first started reading, like when you saw the title of this story and you first started reading it, what was your impression? Like what did you think it was gonna be about? And then when you were reading deeper into it, like did that change and turn for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say typically I'm kind of turned off by love story type um, fiction. Mm -hmm. It, I don't know that it's either like tragic or um, unrealistic, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that was my first impression. Um, and then getting into it at first, I found it like kind of confusing. I was like, what are they talking about with this coyote situation? <laughs> but then quickly it became clear what the focus was. And then I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm in the right place. This is for me. I just love that it opens with that coyote bit because um, mm -hmm. 
as you and I have both like we've talked about and we both experienced postpartum anxiety and sort of the the baggage that comes with that and the unexpected stuff that happens with that. And um, I'm just wondering how you interacted with that like piece of it. Yeah. I mean, that's, those are the most like exciting and validating parts of the story to me um, yeah. are both like the scenarios that she describes imagining and she has some really like well put, um, you know, summary statements about what, it means to have postpartum. Well, I don't I'm not think she necessarily identifies as having postpartum anxiety, but mm-hmm. um, even early on in the story where she says everything real started life as an idea. And I like so intensely latched, you know, latched onto that. That's how I, like whenever I hear, you know, or see a movie or hear a story that is fiction, it scares me. Cause to me, it's like, um you know a scary book or I can't watch scary tv like horror movies because I'm like it may be fiction now (laughs) (laughs) but surely someone's using that idea to like carry that out in real life that's like what anxiety is telling me yeah um yeah so I totally read that that resonated with me absolutely yeah like at the beginning of the story she says like my uncle is so good at imagining things like a wild dog Mm -hmm. with a tender baby in its jaws disappearing into the redwoods forever like that image to me i'm just like oh how many times has that image replayed in my mind (laughs) right and i've had to like talk myself down and be like you know let's actually like walk that back and talk about how it really like the reality of of what that could be I love the way that like intimacy is talked about in this story. Um, like the intimacy between her and her husband, or I guess like the lack of intimacy um, and how she's both um, super curious and in love with her body. And at the same time, super grossed out by it. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like that's something that a lot of people who when you become a parent, like you don't talk about it as much, especially as the person who like has the babies and feeds them. Um, Mm -hmm. There's this real intense, like obsession and curiosity, but at the same time, like, like it's a real physical experience. And a lot of people might describe parts of it as gross. (laughs) And I feel like in this story, Mm -hmm. she um, talks like she's has a really good way of touching on that um sort of double-edged like double-sided coin and like the way she talks about their um one of my favorite lines is on the nights when all three of my kids are in bed with me with us it's so it's like her and her husband and her three kids it's like Mm -hmm. uh some kind of magic petri dish And we're like on an island in the middle of the world and it's the safest, like she feels the safest on the nights when Mm -hmm. all three of her babies are in bed with her. And she sort of describes it as this like Petri dish, which is so true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she talks about the blood and the urine and the breast milk or something. Yeah. And it all mixing together. Um, and that's mm-hmm. so much of what young, like early parenting is, is just like everyone's body fluids, just mixing it all up in there. Um, 
is just a delight. But at the same time, it's kind of like oddly, like oddly satisfying, you know? Um, Oh, yeah. It's like just the smell of your kids and like how all of a sudden you're like the smell of like a poopy diaper isn't unpleasant. (laughs) I don't know how to describe Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, totally. Oh, man. Yeah like an opportunity to care for them too it's something that you know I don't know for me it's an opportunity to feel like um you know someday when they're older they will know that somebody did all of this for them and feel like safe and secure and having had all of that like butt wiping and you know gross like I spent um, an hour with my daughter yesterday as she tried to poop mm-hmm. and there was like all this, like, cause she was super constipated. I know this is TMI, but, um, oh, no. and it was like super smelly and there was like a bit of poop running down her legs and I was like mm-hmm. helping her wipe it up and she kept putting her fingers in it. And I was just like, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, That's- I was like, this could be so gross, but it's like, you know, she needs someone to do this with her. and I like get to be that person for her. Yeah, it's that's the real stuff, you know, people talk about like, you know, you go to baby showers. I don't know if you've had this experience where like you go to a baby shower to someone who's never had a baby before. And it's kind of comical um, for me because I'm just like, oh, man, like, you know, the cupcakes and the like and the tiny, cute little outfits and stuff like none of this is has anything to do with parenting. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. Doing all that stuff is going to be like just like cast all across the house and you're going to have yeah. like no idea where any of it went maybe like no. two two of the items will be valuable or useful to you yeah exactly oh, man yeah yeah um one of the lines like when we were talking about the intimacy like there's a lot of like okay so there's like the intimacy between her and her kids and there's the intimacy between her and her husband which is more of a romantic intimacy and um, I think the way that she kind of talks about both of those is she sort of describes like sexuality sort of before kids and after kids. And mm-hmm. um, she talks about like the where, oh, here it is. Uh, Most men I know speak about sex as if their needs are more intense or deeper than women's needs. Like their penises are on fire and they will die if they can't extinguish the flames in some damp tight hole. (laughs) I freaking love that part. I know. It's so funny and so true. And I just remember like, yeah, like growing up and really believing this fallacy that like men's needs are more intense than women's and this is one of those stories where like she talks really explicitly about like her own sexual needs and how like, and how much they're being ignored. Um, Even though she has this like Mm -hmm. intimacy, this very real physical intimacy with her husband, which is like sharing the bed. And then they have these kids together and everyone's always touching each other. And like, up in each other's business but it's not the same as that like passionate mm-hmm. intimacy totally <laughs> hey now hey girl hey girl 
Speaking of. I know. I love the part where she says, um, the suffering is if I were being yes. called upon to serve in a war effort. <laughs> the ache, the suffering of the boys. The shame. We're all, a, we're all working on this problem together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The suffering of the boys and their blue balls. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. I know. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And but then, there like, there isn't the- that same, like, mythology for, for older, you know, child rearing women. No one's no. Like, calling groups together to satisfy their needs. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most surprising parts about this story is how, like, in-depth she talks about that. Because it it feels, like, really validating as a person who's had a couple kids, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, like, Mm -hmm. other people feel like this, too. This is totally normal. Uh, Oh, yeah, okay, so she says, um, no one wants to hear about middle-aged female sexual desire. (laughs) say dad promised that he would be here to hang out while I was on this call but then he lied (laughs) Uh, just a casual husband Uh, drag yeah mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. so I think one of the most surprising parts about this story was where she like Turns out she's a full-on weed dealer. And I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, oh yeah, I people people just come to my house and ask for weed and I just give it to them. Like <laughs> I give it to them at the door. And you're and for a second I had to read that a couple times and be like, wait, what? Um, Yes, that was super surprising and it sort of made me feel like, oh, we're not really that similar after yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. oh, I would never. And then I was like, really? Vera, we would never. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and then she talks about how she went to the bar with what she says is some of the other weed dealers, which I was like, oh, do weed dealers all hang out? I had no idea. I know. And I was wondering how they get in touch with each other. I know. What is the weed dealing network? I don't know. They must have like a Slack, you know, all together, or maybe like right. a WhatsApp mm-hmm. group. Um, totally. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of those other things where it's like we have this idea of motherhood, and it's this one story, you know, about like a a woman yep. who stays home and takes care of her kids, and that's her whole identity, and this is one of those stories where it's like, oh, right. Like moms could be weed dealers. <laughs> totally. Like that would totally. actually be a pretty good job for a mom because like, probably who would expect the lady in the like car, you know, I'm not dealing yeah, weed. I just want to put that, I just want to put that out there. Leeds <laughs> Weagle in Washington state. I don't need to deal it. It would be a waste of everybody's time. Right. But exactly. um, yeah, I thought that was great. And then, um, yeah, so she talks about going to the bar with the other weed dealers, and she talks about how, like, one of the younger ones was kind of, like, sat down and was like, hey. And she for a second, she was like, oh, like, he's pretty cute. Like, it's pretty flattering to be hit on by a young guy, you know? 
And then um, he asked her instead if she had any snacks. <laughs> he goes, That was such a letdown. I know. He goes, You're a mom, right? And she says, Yeah, yeah. And he's like, Do you have anything, you have any snacks in your purse? And she she talks about the humiliating moment where she dug through her purse and actually found some snacks. And I'm like, dude, that's that is it. But then she goes on to say that like like he couldn't handle me anyway. Like I'm like like a middle aged mother of three is like I'm like a what did she say an aged stinky cheese like too rich and delicious for like a young boy to right. handle like he yep. needs the cheddar totally. you know he can't handle mm-hmm. this like mm-hmm. aged rich deliciousness yeah really i was i was bummed out that there wasn't some you know the sexual tension just ended right there i know the snack question yeah <laughs> I feel like what it said to me was like the women we see our, I think we tend to see ourselves as like not that different necessarily than before. You know, I'm still, I still have the like same core needs, the same core sexuality for the most part, but everybody sees us as like completely new being that could not possibly have the same sort of needs and desires as we had before. Yeah. That's how I I feel. Yeah, I think a lot of times that identity is like, it's just like, nobody cares, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Once you, it's sort of like the value of women is placed on like young sexuality and nobody cares about, like once you've, once you're done with that phase of your life, it's sort of like, uh, you're not really any good to us unless you can like work or be really cute. So Right. Um, yep. And, and I have definitely like that is something that I feel the pain of very acutely. And then it feels so validating to like read it in a story and be like, oh, right. Like that's that's not just happening to me. Mm-hmm. That's just patriarchy. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's fine. And a sexualized like mom type is really an embarrassment, is what I sort of read or see in the media. It's like she's debating herself by having any desire for anything sexual because it's so pathetic. That's what it comes across. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What um, were there any parts of the story that you like any other parts that we haven't talked about that you were just like stuck with you or you felt so deeply or let's see. One is her anxiety where she talks about, um, let's see when her, I don't know how far, what constitutes the end of the article, but mm-hmm. it's not the conclusion, but where she talks about, um, we all maintain in life asking when will violence strike, when will devastation occur, mm-hmm. um, and how we look like those sort of hapless swimmers at the beginning of Jaws when we have mm-hmm. our you know family together with our 
vulnerable little children. I just like the vulnerability of that all. And she calls, she says that uh, we are innocent, tender, and delicious. And it's, I mean, I think probably, you know, most people feel this way that they never feel so vulnerable and sort of um, exposed as when they have children because you really become so, I felt, you know, I felt like I became so um, willing to, you know, or needing to be able to do so many new things in order to keep them safe and um, healthy and all of that. And the threats just all of a sudden seem, you know, there's an infinite number of threats. Um, And she says, I'm scared my life will suffer some dramatic sudden change. And it's like, even the little things in our day to day, like, um, I was thinking about when I was a kid, like one time I hit my head and split, split it open and was bleeding everywhere and I had to go to the hospital. And it's like, even those little things at the time can, if you're anxious, can feel like, where is this going? And is this going to be sort of like, is this going to constitute like the end of the normalcy of my, like in the sort of protectedness of my family life. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering like, do my parents feel that way too? So there's just like, it feels like with parenting, there's like danger lurking everywhere. That's really what um, anxiety I think says to us, but it also, I mean, she speaks to it very, very well. Yeah, I think this story in so many ways um, portrays with just pinpoint accuracy the exact feeling of what it is to be an anxious parent. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just so deeply felt in this story, like the precariousness and like you were talking about the vulnerability and how like these adorable little babies are just so tender and juicy and delicious Mm -hmm. and just like ripe for sudden violent like changes Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that we don't talk about at the baby shower you know no Um, (laughs) no one prepares you for that sheer (laughs) panic of being like oh my god this defenseless little morsel is mine to protect Mm -hmm. um And I think something that's happened to me as a parent is like, I never really took it upon myself to be protective of myself. So like when I had kids, I was like, I don't know how to be protective. Like, I don't know what my boundaries are. And I had to like Mm -hmm. learn that really like crash course in boundaries Mm-hmm. with people and things and situations because I was like I, I never had like I I feel like as women this happens a lot like we're growing up it's sort of like just ignore the creepy uncle like mm-hmm. you know just be nice mm-hmm. you know help the boys with their blue balls and oh, you God. know it's like you know <laughs> it, it's like we have this as women were sort of brought up to be the peacemakers. And like, if you put down a boundary or something, it's seen as some kind of like act of war or like bitchy would be the word probably used. Totally. Or how dare you? How dare you put down a boundary? Like, how dare you be bitchy? Like, how dare you assume the worst? Or like, I like the, I always think of like the, 
imaginary guy at the bar like geez like I was just trying to say hi or like oh you want a free drink and I think as women we're sort of like like we're we're taught to just not have those boundaries and not be quote bitchy Mm -hmm. so when we become parents it's like we have to learn that it's okay to be bitchy sometimes and be like no sorry that's out of my comfort zone like totally oh my god right <laughs> like yeah <laughs> like please don't put your fingers in my baby's mouth um yeah yeah totally like, no don't that take was, them swimming that was probably the like the most significant transformation for me personally was like um that all of those ways in which i had suppressed myself like my instincts about what was safe for me and i didn't suppress all of them but certainly plenty of them like that sort of like seal ripped off and it was kind of painful um but in the end like the freedom that I feel now just being able to like I mean honestly you know my husband takes the brunt of it because I'm constantly telling him you know what what we can and can't do in terms of like safety especially now with COVID but um oh my god I feel like in a certain way I'm like yes I am a bitch (laughs) and I'm I'm not like you know I'm sorry if that's like uncomfortable but like it's way more important that we all feel safe and like um that like I don't like harbor these resentments and these like fears alone like you need to share these fears with me because they're real there's real threats here especially with certain things that we do with our kids so that was a good, it was a painful, but a really, you know, sort of awesome transition for me into motherhood. Yeah. And it's interesting how I'm so much more protective of myself now and my time. And mm-hmm. because I had to learn to do it for my kids, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sucks that it's, it's easier to do it for other people than it is Mm -hmm. for ourselves but Mm -hmm. um hey that's life Mm -hmm. we're all just up in here learning yeah learning our shit and evolving all the time yeah um the other one i was gonna say the other like uh really poignant part of the article was when she talks about um the fear of sort of like what happens to you after your children are gone and um, you know, it was like a sort of a hot, really hard and still is a really hard process to like let go of your pre-child self, at least for me, um, the freedom that I had and like the, the opportunity to pursue all these things by myself. But like, I am so terrified of like the day that my children are all out of the house and like, I'm like, what even has any meaning anymore? Um, my dad told me that after my little brother left the house, he would come home after work and not want to go inside because he was like, there's no purpose for me anymore. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is a potent image. Right? Wow. wow. I know. Uh, I think about that, too. Actually, Rob and I have this. It's sort of a game that we play that where we sort of like engage the fantasy of like oh like when are when the last one's gone where where are we going to travel to yeah. or like 
something will come up and I will be like, oh, have you ever heard of this town in Turkey? And I'm like, no, but we'll go there when Nell's 18. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. We sort of have this like ongoing game and fantasy of like, who are we going to be and what are we Mm going to do? Not like we don't enjoy the dailiness of being parents, but it's fun to to sort of fantasize about that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. That part is fun for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, On that, as you were saying that, I was reading this one part that I love a lot that's um yeah she talks about the sort of transformation that happens when you become a parent um she says from one small body I made three new humans it took everything I had to make them liver take it self-worth it's all yours uh I just love that and Mm -hmm. um and then she says uh, I grew these three complex beauties. I made their lungs and their noses. Who can't understand this basic math? Right. Um, why wouldn't I be hollowed out? Yeah. Why wouldn't I be hollowed out? She says, but sh- then she goes on to say like, I can fill myself with stars or light or rose petals if I want. And I'm glad everything once ev- I'm glad everything I once was is gone. And my children are here instead. They've erased the individual and I'm grateful. The individual was not special in the first place. And really these new humans I made are a million times better than I ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can really relate to that feeling of like the feeling of being hollowed out and having to sort of be like, who, who am I again? Like mm-hmm. what, what is it that I want to do? And I've tried many iterations of that since you know, the seven or so years since I started having kids and I still don't really know, but um, I can deeply relate to that sort of like searching feeling Mm -hmm. that you get. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that changed a lot for me is I didn't know what kind of parent I would be when I, before I had kids, I thought I knew And then um, when I became a parent, I was like, oh, (laughs) I'm this other kind of parent that's so different than what I thought I would be. Yeah. Um, And I think what helps, like what you're saying is um, being hollow and sort of just like, like letting yourself be filled with what comes your way, like what you take and what you don't take. I mean, there's like how you respond to that instinctively. Um, That was really a blessing to me like I got to be able to be like more accepting of some of a lot of things that were actually good even though they looked corny or nerdy or whatever and then super rejecting of things that were really bad for me mm-hmm. um, and so I feel like that's like a was a really awesome lesson in becoming a parent was just like completely resorting the things that felt like what were right or wrong for me yeah, like it's kind of this sort of stripping down of your of this idea of who you think you are and what you think is important. Mm-hmm. It's like all of a sudden, literally all of that changes. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the second this little human's out of you, you're like, oh, I don't care about any of this other I stuff. Know. <laughs> and it's like this complete reorganization. And totally there's a lot of brain science around that. That's interesting, but pretty boring. But like, um, I remember reading some brain sciencey articles about that 
transition that happens when you become a parent, your brain literally changes. And I remember reading it and the way the writer was writing, it was like, isn't this amazing? Like who would have thought? I can't believe it. And I was in my mind, I was reading it. I was like, yeah, fucking duh. Like, <laughs> of course your brain completely changes. Like it better never been a parent. Like, I guess they don't know the feeling of being a puddle of goo at the feet of this like, tiny tiny human mm-hmm. um so yeah uh the uh, okay so there's this one part that i is so funny where she so she lives the character lives in the t- in the same town as this famous writer she never says who mm-hmm. the famous writer is but mm-hmm. she says she sees her at the grocery store and they've hung out at a bar together but this lady like never remembers who she is mm-hmm. but the main character she's like i know you know she's this famous writer and she sort of like like we do with anybody we sort of like low-key like spy on them you know (laughs) she's like i can kind of see like she lives across the hill from me like and she talks about this one time that she brought some mail over to her that had accidentally gone to their house and she was invited in and you know the lady poured her a glass of wine and they were talking and she was like, Oh yeah, I have three kids. And the lady <laughs> said, she said, when I mentioned that I had three children, her jaw came unhinged. <laughs> oh my God. Her hand lifted up to her face as if I'd said I had three months to live. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> so funny because that happens to me now, you know, like when yeah. I meet people or, I see people they're like oh my god so you have three kids now I'm like yeah. yeah like you can basically write me off as a friend like if you're not down <laughs> like, you know like it. I don't know if you had this experience too or like when I started having kids I had two kids and now I have three kids like friends kind of drop off mm-hmm. like you know they're just kind of well, like was there a difference between your friends with kids and your friends without kids and how they really yes. yeah Yes. Yeah. And I can just really relate to that feeling of them being like, like when we, when we told people we were having a third, people were like, like, we kind of got that reaction a couple times, you know, like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> like, what? Totally. So I know. I thought for a minute I was pregnant like a couple months ago mm-hmm. and I told Jeff and he was like, I mean, I would be so excited, but like, if I told my coworkers about this, they would be horrified. <laughs> I know. I was like, I feel the same way. Yeah. Everyone's gonna be like horrified, and we would be super pumped. And yeah. there's no nothing wrong with three kids. I actually think that like that horror is what is like just a reflection of the fact that our society does not want they, the, the society. Society is like, sure, replicate yourselves, but if you go any further than that. Like you're being, you know, irresponsible or something. And it's like if we were accepting and like fit families into our infrastructure and all of that, it would be a celebration to have more children. Oh, yeah. And it's like, like, it's almost like, yeah, a two child rule unwritten. Yeah, it is this unwritten rule, especially in our like so- socioeconomic class of like, if you have more than two mm-hmm. kids, you're just straight up like irresponsible. Um, which I think is just so funny. Um, okay, hold on one second. Let me figure you out, you little schnookums. 
Hoffman. Yeah, come here. Let me figure you out. Number three. Here you go. Okay. Oh, so the other part of her uh, interaction with the famous writer lady was uh, the part where she sees her in the grocery store and she says, <laughs> I stood behind her in line at the fishmonger's counter, my own cart bulging with all the embarrassments of motherhood that don't embarrass me anymore. Like she says, like chicken breasts and gallons of milk and cold cuts and mayonnaise and apples. And like, <laughs> I can totally like that was me at the grocery store yesterday. I was like, yeah, like mm -hmm. two gallons of milk, deli meat, like, you know, all these like super mom, you know, things to buy. And then she says, I heard her order a quarter pound of salmon. <laughs> And it was, she describes it as the loneliest fish order ever. And I stepped away, scared her emaciated solitude might be contagious. <laughs> and I was like, totally. Like, there's, like, there's a part of me that, like, absolutely envies this sort of, like, lonely artist life you know and then there's the other part of me that's like oh my god that especially i think the pandemic has sort of brought that out like mm -hmm. i am sure that i made the right choice because even if we're like locked up in this like little farmhouse like we're we're still like bursting with things to do and like intimacy and affection and like people to yeah. snuggle people stuff. to snuggle yeah yep and something to occupy your days there's no yeah. real question about how you're gonna spend your time no yeah people there's no like on. yeah like everyone's like oh i started doing this during the pandemic or whatever and i'm like i just continued i know the chaos <laughs> like, exactly oh um, yep. She actually talks about that a couple of places, like the fear of someone's um, loneliness, like the when she's talking about the situation on the bus, where oh, right. um, that woman is like doing voice yeah, to text or something on her phone. Yeah, she's and she, she says, um, let's see, she says something like, "People shouldn't infect." innocent bystanders with their drama <laughs> is that like contagiousness of the idea of like your your loneliness is contagious or your drama and triviality is contagious kind of which i hate that idea of that but i completely identify with it like there are people you know in my life occasionally who i've sort of stopped spending time with because of how um terrible but like how um needy they seem for relationships but aren't really able to sort of like secure them in another way other than being desperate and it's like terrible to turn those people away but it does feel contagious for some reason like i'm gonna end up in your place if i continue to spend time with you but oh yeah now that we I have children at least for a little while we will not be in that position <laughs> 
no and we'll be those people we'll be your dad like sitting outside the house going like i don't want to go in there's nobody in there <laughs> i know oh man i know <sighs> but maybe we'll just maybe we'll travel you know maybe we'll be those people yeah i'll probably just yeah. be outside with the chickens i'll just have like a 29 chickens you know <laughs> I'll just fill my house with pets. That's probably how I'll go. I'll just be like, oh, I, I, I am super it. busy this weekend. Yep. I have nine cats, four dogs, 20, 28 chickens. <laughs> I'm getting a dairy cow. Like we have a donkey now. Yeah, I would. That's what I'll, I'll just fill my house with like other beating hearts. <laughs> like it's just. Yeah, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that. That scene on the bus is pretty heartbreaking, like how she keeps trying to write the message yeah. and she keeps like cutting off and it's just like yeah. super painful. Yeah. Yeah. Although it might be still like that, um, that idea where people like look at us and maybe pity us and like, you know, think that what we're doing is like, you know, we've been cast out of society as parents, as mothers, but. For, to ourselves, I think it feels like a very fulfilling enterprise. Whereas for that woman on the bus, like I'm looking at, I'm pitying her, but she may have, she may be fulfilled, you know, and she may yeah. actually, her, her conversation on the bus may not actually be a sign of like, you know, something terrible. It might just be that she's, you know, doing fine. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, maybe this is her, that was her big day out and, you know, she's having a good time. Yeah, Um, totally. So there's that next scene where she's talking about the professor who was having a relationship with one of his students, but it was like, he's in an open marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a man I hardly know, an academic. He began sleeping with a graduate student when his wife was pregnant but everything was cool because, you know, everyone involved reads criticism and all three of them want to test the bounds of just how much that shit can hurt. I imagine <laughs> that shit can hurt a whole lot. Like, <laughs> and I thought that was such a keen observation. Yeah. About like, yeah, like maybe that's a lot of times what we're doing with a lot of relationships is sort of like experimenting with how much that shit can hurt, you know? Oh, Totally. Uh, I just thought that was a delightful observation. It was so, yeah. I actually, I mean, this is judgmental, but I have that impression about people in those sort of like polyamorous situations. I know a lot of them do great. And in some respect, monogamy is a test of how much that shit can hurt, I guess. Because you're like, how much, like there is the pain of denying yourself, you know, intimacy with other people and there is a pain of like you know despair if you feel like you've married the wrong person or that they're not going to love you the way that you feel like you need to be loved like those are all ways that we flirt with pain but I my instinct is to like feel that way about other types of relationships more than my own yeah definitely and you know you're right like marriage can that shit can hurt a whole lot like it is sort of an experiment Mm -hmm. in how much that shit can hurt (laughs) it's just like these little betrayals these little things that happen all day that you're like what you know like 
okay, so I'm about to mm-hmm. blow up my husband, but he like, I'm totally going to blow him up. And I told you guys was like, he voted third party in this yeah. past presidential election. And like, he didn't tell me he was going to do that. And I was like, what? Like, it was like, <laughs> one of those yeah. moments where I was like, do I even know you? <laughs> right. And it, yeah. It's like all the, those little things that happen in marriage where you're just like, it shouldn't really matter, but why does this matter so much to me? Um, and we talked about it like mm-hmm. extensively, you know, like this really felt like a betrayal. And like, you know, like you didn't tell, like, I feel like we're on the same page on so many things. And um, we talked about it a ton, but I feel like stories like this always help me feel super validated of like, yeah, like, man, like we're all just up in it, you know, just like trying not to totally hurt each other as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And we're mm-hmm. constantly failing. So that's cool. Um, yep. Uh, yeah. And what else? Um, so I think is there any other part? I have a part that I would love to wrap on, but is there any other part? Sure. Go ahead. Um, so the sort of whole idea of the whole like theme of the story, we won't talk about the end because that's the main rule, but the whole theme of the story kind of wraps on this, like, like this fear of, someone being outside of their home and trying to get in like this fear of coyotes, this fear of um, people trying to do her kids and her family harm. Like this idea of um, like letting people in or not letting them in. And like, how much are you willing to Mm -hmm. risk? Like how much are you willing to give of yourself to in this life, in this whole business to like, how much are you willing to give of yourself? So you're not alone basically. And Mm -hmm. I feel like as a person, I'm constantly fiddling with that line, you know, and it's on some days it's like, I'm, I have a lot, like I I can totally give a bunch of myself. Um, And then on other days I'm, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I I just want to keep everything for me. Um, And I think like the theme of the story is like, okay, so like anyone who comes to me and is like, I'm thinking about having a kid. I send them this story because I feel like this story in particular is such an accurate depiction of like the internal life of a parent. So yeah, I guess I want to know how you feel about like the borders of where you are and where other people start and like how you toggle with that. It's so interesting because like every person in my immediate sphere, it's a different arrangement, like a different border. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like, you know, as a, as a woman, like you mentioned earlier, we're sort of meant, we're told to sort of like let our boundaries go um, I definitely feel like I found them more when I became a parent, mm-hmm. but, um, some of the things I did let go of were, um, 
a, a, a sense of myself as like needing to be um, perf- like over professional at work, things like that, where I like could actually bring my emotional um, vulnerable self to work. So that I, that, that I sort of let go. But in relationship to other people, I think like I have to uh, identify it every day with my kids, especially when they ask for things that I can't tell if it's like me giving it part of myself or it's me actually establishing a closer bond with them. Um, like this is like, for example, my four-year-old asked recently if she could nurse again. And on the one hand, I was like, I, um, I've been desperate for some more like bonding for with her. And so I was like, well, this would be a great bonding opportunity. And the other side of me, I was like, uh, I really don't like that idea. Like I hate the idea of nursing my four-year-old. Um, and I actually let her do it for a minute. And then I was like, this doesn't feel right at all. I need to stop immediately. <laughs> and I never let her do it again. But it was just like this test for myself. Like what? And I think that's a lot. I mean, everyone would say that's a lot of what parenting is, is trial and error um, with what your boundaries are, um, which can feel really chaotic when you're doing it as a parent and sort of like uh, inconsistent. But um, I think it was it's sort of like the only way I know how to figure it out is to try and see what works and what feels good and then be willing to sort of like cut it off if it doesn't feel right. So I guess that requires a lot of being in touch with yourself at the time things are happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this story in particular, like she uses so many different um, kind of little vignettes, like towards the end, like she has a bunch of little stories within the story about like a couple that goes on vacation Mm -hmm. and here's what happens. And like, there's a nun who lives in the woods with other older nuns. And then like, it's kind of interesting how she kind of uses sort of these different um, frames of what love can look like to like illustrate Mm -hmm. how we let people in and like how far we let people in and like, what are we willing to give of ourselves in order to like receive sort of the redemptive love that, like humans require <laughs> to like maintain homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Um, like towards the end, there's um, the one about the couple on vacation. They like go to a cottage beside a river. It's really beautiful. The lady comes, like they arrive, the lady comes and she shows them around and she seems really nice and they really like her and they're like, Oh, what a great host. And then the next day they find out she's dead. Um, Cause they like called, Mm-hmm. with a question about the heater or something. And that's kind of like a funny way to put it, but in a lot of ways what you're talking about with parenting this sort of like trial and error of like how close mm-hmm. do you let someone in? Like when you just meet someone yeah. and you're just like, here, uh, here's part of myself, here's part of my story. Like this is what we're about. And then they disappear or they walk away or like, in the case of kids, they move away and they may or may not take Mm -hmm. any, like you put so much into this person and they may or may not take any of that um, and be grateful. (laughs) Like, 
I always think of the story, the giving tree and mm-hmm. how much I hate that story because it's like, <laughs> fuck you, you shitty little kid. Like, no, you can't have my trunk. I fucking need that. You know, like, <laughs> I just, people always lift up the giving tree. Like, it's some kind of fucking model for parenting. And right. I just want to be like, no. This, this is not how we should be parenting. Does anyone assume that the giving tree is a man? Certainly not. Would you ever no. see a man giving away his trunk? No. <laughs> Everyone might knows. do it, but no one's assuming it's a dude. Everyone knows the giving tree is a woman. I mean, come on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's that's one of those things that I think about all the time. Like, I am not the giving tree, nor will I ever be. And that's like my, like, maybe you could have some of my leaves and branches, but like, no, you cannot have my trunk. Like, absolutely not. (laughs) Sorry, no. I love it. Fuck the giving tree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, this is an unpopular opinion, but like, you know, and Mm. and feel free, you know, come at me with your like giving tree, uh, you know, positive stories, but like, I just can't, it's just such a terrible model for parenting. And like, everyone always says like, Oh, the giving tree makes me cry. Like, I love that book. It makes me cry. I'm like, why do you love that book? Like, why do you think it makes you cry? Because someone gave everything of themselves. And the other person was like, bye. Like, thanks. See you later. Like talk about boundary. Totally. issues. I know. Oh. It's a, it's a, it's a propaganda for the patriarchy, as we all know. As we that all kind of know. This will be on my next episode of the podcast. Right? <laughs> the giving tree. I mean, it, it, like you're saying, though, those boundaries and not giving up all of yourself is such a good model to set for our children. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Like, especially our daughters and our, and our yeah. sons, everyone, just to have those boundaries for yourself. Yes. Like, how cool to be able to... Yeah model that for your kids yeah i hope that my daughters especially if they grow up and they want to have their own kids like i hope that they don't go through the thing that i went through which was like wait where do i stop and you begin or like, wait how do i tell someone it's not okay for them to put their fingers in my baby's mouth or like yep. you know like <laughs> i had to learn all that. i know i just hope they don't have to learn all that i hope that they and so far we're good i mean i feel like with your daughter's Especially, she's real good at laying it down. <laughs> you know, Maple's pretty so. good at it too. Yep. We try and celebrate her claims to her own body and her own autonomy as much as we I can. I love it. You guys are great parents. Um, uh, yeah. Anyways, we can wrap on that. But um, the last thing I always ask people is uh, what are you, uh, what are you reading next? What are you reading now? What are you reading next week? Um, again, it's more of the utilitarian type reading, but I'm hoping to get into something more fun sometime soon, which is what winter usually does for me. Um, but the utilitarian reading is a book on parenting. Of course, it's um, called The Power of Showing Up. And it's sort of like um, you know, just being there and 
um, being emotionally present to your children is enough. There's no need to be perfect. So that's been really helpful. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything like I've been reading for pleasure lately. Um, I've just been so consumed by the current state of things that I haven't really picked up a book, but I'm trying to get back to that for something fun. If you have any recommendations, let me know. Well, the next book that I'm going to be talking to someone about is actually, I'm going to be talking to Lisa about the book that she had recommended to all of us. Um, And by all of us, I mean, we have this very long going text chain that's probably the longest running like text chain I've ever been group <laughs> chat, I guess would be the more timely, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's the longest running group chat I've ever been a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but it's, yep. and I jokingly call it the, um, the North Kitsap wives club when yeah. I like refer to it. But um, cause we, we all married into this same group of guy friends and it's all the people on this, on this group chat are all the, just the wives of those guys. Um, but it's one of my favorite group chats to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But so our friend Lisa had recommended this book to all of us in that group chat called man at the helm. And I started reading it and it's really, really good. And it's okay, good. funny. It is so funny and I'm really excited to talk to her about it. So we have a call scheduled next week. So if you want to get up in that, it's a great, it's super funny. It's perfect to read before bed because it's like, just, it's just candy for your brain. It's a delight. So I love it. I love it. That sounds great. Thank you. And by the way, I started that text thread. So I take a lot of pride in it. You should. That's a. It's my it making. makes my day. It makes my day when we got some good banter on there. It really does. I know. <laughs> Love it. It's the best. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Vera. And um, I just have enjoyed this so much. It's just some of my favorite times Likewise. when I get to talk you. about books. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we'll um. Yeah. We'll chat more well, in another time. Thank you for doing this. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Take All care. right. We'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Okay. I'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for recording with me, Vera. I had so much fun talking about a love story. I also recommend people go to the link I'm going to post in the show notes and read the interview that Samantha Hunt did with The New Yorker about this story. It's really interesting. Uh, She talks a lot about the choices she made for the narrator, the choices she made for the story collection as a whole. And I really enjoyed it joined that interview uh mostly because i'm a huge samantha hunt fan girl um so samantha if you're listening if i ever meet you i'm gonna cry maybe but um that's okay so thanks for hanging on hanging in there and i super enjoyed this conversation
If you want to share this conversation with others, I highly encourage that. We're on Spotify, uh, Pocket Casts, hoping to be on iTunes really soon. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, you can donate on anchor.fm, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm, and my podcast is on there. And you can donate to this podcast. Half of all the proceeds are going to be going to litworld.org, which is an organization that um, works to increase literacy around the world and here in the U.S., Something that's coming up on Lit World is that on February 3rd, it is World Read Aloud Day. So I'm going to be posting a conversation with my very own kids on February 3rd for World Read Aloud Day. If they will oblige me, that is. And as always, as Chef John would say, enjoy. Enjoy.